0: back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by my co-host and star of this show, Kevin Kernan, America's most beloved sports writer, the Hall of Famer, and this is Coaching Kernan. we got a great guest for you today, um, but before we do that and before we bring on Kevin, I want to just thank our special audience here, 50,000 plus subscribers, 74 countries, grassroots to MLB front offices. Thank you for your support. Because of you guys, we are now the latest podcast streaming group on iHeartRadio. Make sure you continue to, to help us battle the analytics of the podcast world just like they do in baseball. Go on this show after, after give Kevin five stars, write some comments under there, and that helps us continue our movement towards uh, I heart glory here. We've made it to the big league, so uh, give us a hand, and we will continue to provide you great content like we do every week on this show. And With that, uh, Kevin, welcome back to your show. Love the latest article. I like the selfie reference in the beginning, but I'm going to turn it over to you to – to kind of share a little bit about those two wonderful pieces and what you're seeing in the game, a lot of a lot of good college football too this week. If you want to touch,
1: yeah, a lot of a lot of great things going on uh, since we last talked. Parting glass. I read about the parting glass, which is an old. Uh, uh, a lot of people didn't get it, but I write sometimes. I write things where it's up to you to think a little bit, and it's not. I'm not just going to hand it over to you. It's an old Scottish, basically, uh, funeral song. where you, you raise your glass and uh, say goodbye. Because basically, I was saying goodbye to baseball as we know it, and that was the column. Why watch? This was after Blake Snow was taken out for a no yep. hitter, you know, with a no hitter. And I get it, you know, the pitch counts, you know, they can't do anything anymore without pitch counts. But Blake Snow never changes, never goes after guys, you know. It's always about chase rate. So, so that one really upset me. And then, uh, of course, the last column, uh, you know, I I just. Uh, I basically just write off what's going on with the game. I, I I don't try to look for trouble. I find it, and it's over the rainbow with the Mets because they're always looking over the rainbow. These teams are always looking over the rainbow, and they're not alone. You know, now we see the Red Sox. Sam Fold is the latest guy. Why don't you hire Brian Sabian? You know, stop it, stop it. He's like he told me when I spoke to him recently. He says I beat them. You know, meaning meaning the the, the analytic guys. He was in San Francisco. The analytic, you know even and uh so the mets ease for elimination you can't spell mets without a knee. i i'm just tired of their act and of course uh, you can't spell selfie without an knee because that's what the mets were the mets basically were a selfie team you know lindor's always got new gloves new shoes new this new that you know what don't hit 220 when we, when when the team needs you most through the first 3 months of the season you know uh don't try to hit home runs every time even though you're a, a shortstop so so, yeah, so I, it's the end of the season. As you can tell, my, my nerves are, are a little frazzled with baseball. And they're just going to continue to lose uh, people who love the game. And that's what's happening. All they're going to get is bettors. They're all about betting. So they're going to get that kind of clientele. You know what? Have at it. They're going to add two new teams soon because they need to keep the money pouring in. Here's my bold prediction of the day. When they add Nashville, Dombrowski will go to Nashville you know and he'll 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 uh, he'll get back in that game cuz he you know they basically told him uh you know Nashville is uh waiting for you and 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 Dave would be perfect for that starting a organization. So I will say this though. I watch a lot of the Phillies. I love the way the Phillies play baseball. I think the Phillies if they can get there, they are really going to they love each other. They play hard. They kind of remind me a little bit of the 2004 Red Sox which brings us right to our guest.
0: Yeah. The, um Dombrowski, I think that's a great call. He was, uh, people don't know, he was the consultant when the Nashville project got off the ground. He was the guy they brought in, and Dave Stewart and his uh, his wife Lonnie Murray are kind of big pushers to bring Dave Stewart back into the game possibly as well. So I'm with you on the Nashville thing. Uh, that That's a no-brainer for him. But I, I, I'm i looking, and I think the Phillies are a great call too. I mean, it's uh, they can't measure, analytics cannot measure uh, clubhouse camaraderie and closeness, and that's something that they discount as they treat players like dividends. One well, other
1: quick point: they brought in this rookie last night, He's come all the way from Abel all the way up. But he was—they did an interview with him afterward, and it was a great TV moment too. Uh, his father was crying as he was pitching and basically making the Mets look foolish with his slider. And um, um, and and they did a post-game interview with him. And again, I think the Philly announcers do a nice job, and and you really felt the. The, how the team loved having this kid there. How he loved being there. How he was humble. They are a complete opposite of the Mets. They're not a selfie team. They take they 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 are a team that is uh, you. We always take a selfie with because they got such characters. But they they uh, and I, I do think Harper's matured tremendously. I've always liked Harper, not just his game, but I think he had to mature mentally, physically, become more of a team guy, and he has so. Uh, that's that.
0: What would you think of a Mike Trout push to bring him to Philly, bring him back? I guess that's close to home, right? New Jersey. Yeah,
1: close to home. Uh, if he can stay healthy, you know, maybe stop lifting truck tires with weights in them. you know? <laughs> Don't be an idiot, Mike Trout. It's
0: really that simple. It's a good point. Good point. And then I do like what they did with Trey Turner. He was struggling, and uh, he's a guy who does things the right way. And that standing ovation, what was it, a couple months back, they moved him down to seven in the lineup, and the, the crowd game was standing ovation. And from that point on – that uplift, whether it had something to do with it psychologically or not, he, uh, he's he been lights out since that time. The
1: only thing I will say, and again, this is uh, because we have a, a broadcaster on a, a you know, Hall of Fame broadcaster. Um, I I did listen to a game too. I think it might've been on one of those uh, apples or whatever, you know, uh, we, you know, one of the streaming service with the Phillies the other day. Yeah. And the play-by-play guy was okay, but he was talking about, Cheese steaks and how he had you know obviously they have great cheese steaks and I remember my days in Philly they used to always uh, the, the clubby the visiting club used to make the greatest cheesesteaks in the world and players love them but he was talking about a chicken cheesesteak uh, no no such thing chicken cheese it's, it's a cheese steak it's not a chicken cheesesteak so please when I, when I heard that right away it kind of turned me off on this guy okay I, I'm, I'm done I so. <laughs>
0: I like that. Um, I'm never having chicken cheese stick again. I don't think I could. I think I've had it a couple of times, but it's off my off my diet. So w- with that, uh, bring in our special guest today, legendary broadcaster, Hall of Fame broadcaster. Had the pleasure of meeting him uh, through uh, Kevin spoke with your class last week and we had wonderful conversations this weekend. Thought we got to get him on right away. Um, but with that, I want to bring on for episode 294, legendary Hall of Fame broadcaster, Jerry Tropiano. Jerry, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Good morning. If we get time later, I got to tell you my introduction to a
0: Philly cheesesteak. Oh, we can do it right now. We can do it right now. You want to do it right now? Yeah, let's we'll start with him as well.
2: So, so, my first job in, in baseball was with the Astros when they were in the National League. So, we'll get to Philadelphia. And one of the guys mentioned, I don't know if it was Nolan Ryan. Nolan, I was doing the Oilers and the Astros at the same time, NFL football and Major League Baseball. And Nolan liked to sit by me as I was doing my spotting boards. And, um, he says, you ever been, one of the one of the guys I said, you ever had a Philly cheesesteak? I said, no. So get in like at three or four in the morning, sleep in, get up about 11, go looking for a Philly cheesesteak. I didn't know about Pat. I didn't know about Pat's or I didn't know about Geno's. So I'm walking down the street and I see a sign, authentic Philly cheesesteak. So I go in there. <laughs> it's a little like diner place. And I'm sitting down and the, the waitress comes over to the, I'm at the counter and she comes in and remember the old ice cream machines with the the doors he would lift up and they'd scoop out the ice cream
0: yeah uh, yeah
2: yeah it was one of those places so she takes my order i order a Philly cheesesteak fries and and uh, and a coke so so she brings she brings the cheesesteak puts it in front of me i take my first bite she's leaning back against this this i guess I, I, what would you call it the the refrigerator or everything with, with all the uh all the drawers back there and she screams, this rat about the size of a cat goes running across the top. Ah! I left my Philly cheesesteak. I said, I'll see you later. That was my introduction. I have, since, I have since found other establishments with, let's say, cleaner facilities.
0: I was going to say, hopefully you've had better, better experiences in your long run Yes, as a broadcaster. My, um, you, you In our couple of days of conversations leading up to the show, I've just been enthralled with the stories that you tell, and I thought it'd be good just to kind of toss names at you and then let you kind of broad stroke or take it as narrow as you want to, to share your relationship with these people. And I think our audience will get a, a better sense of, of, of who you are, what you've done, and how you do it, because uh, I'm just, I'm super impressed with it. But first name I want to toss out to you is the legendary Joe Buck. Joe,
2: his dad, Jack, was my mentor. I got, I got very lucky in my life. I, I knew at nine years old what I wanted to do for a career. I'm playing wiffle ball at 5673 Hiller Place in St. Louis, and I hit a home run in Mrs. Bussey's yard and probably traveled all of about 25 feet, but I called it like Harry Carey, and, and it impressed the guys I was with, and that kind of made you feel good. So I I knew I wanted to be a broadcaster, but I didn't know about Syracuse. I I didn't what I knew about Syracuse, what I knew about Mizzou, UCLA, USC, all the schools with with big programs. All I knew was about their football and basketball programs. I knew St. Louis University, my hometown, St. Louis, had a had a broadcast situation, had a campus radio station. I didn't know it was on the third floor of a condemned building. So I went to St. Louis U. I got on the station as jerry stevens back in those days you had to change your name you know and i did a record show from noon to one spinning records monday through friday kmox radio one of the great radio stations of all time uh called looking for somebody else the the station manager is senior who was Robert Hyland, the legendary Robert Hyland, who was the general manager of, of KMOX, turned down the presidency of CBS Radio three times. He loves St. Louis, loved the Cardinals. This gentleman they were looking for was not there. I was there. They asked me if I do anything about football. They needed somebody to relay the scores of the foot to football broadcasters for on Mizzou and on the football cardinals when they were out of town. So I said, Yeah, I know football. Long story short. They hire me, they let me go after the football season, hire me a month later as a producer. I meet Jack Buck. Jack Buck takes me under his wing. Dan Kelly, the greatest hockey announcer I ever lived, took me under his wing. Those two guys. Jack would get me into the ballpark at St. Louis to practice on a voice of music, reel-to-reel tape recorder, critique the tapes, led to my broadcast career. But Jack, when, when Joe was born during spring training down in St. Pete, I was the guy who took the call from Jack that uh, you know we, Joe Francis Buck Joseph Francis Buck has been born <laughs> and, and I've, I've kept in touch with Joe. I, I talked to him regularly got to see him about three weeks ago in St. Louis when I was back uh, he was making a talk with Chip Carey and I was I was uh, in town so I got to, got to see him there uh, My relationship with the Buck family goes back a long way and I w- and I would not have a career if it was not for Jack Buck. Joe's father and, and Joe has been terrific. I've known him for a lot of years. Any pictures of you in that booth when you were when you were young? If you, if you go to my website, which is thesportsmike.com, um there's a picture of Scipio Spinks, a former Major League pitcher, back when pitchers would hit. Uh he, he's he's in the press box two booths over from where I am practicing. I don't know how my mother found the shot, this this picture in the St. Louis Post dispatch. But Scipio, one night, gets on and he's at second base, and he's going to try to score against the Cincinnati Reds. He's going to try to run over Johnny Bench. It didn't work. He broke his leg, so he winds up in this pre- in the press box. So I'm in this auxiliary booth, two booths over, and they snap a picture of Scipio, and that's that's the only picture I know exists of me practicing.
0: And Scipio's man. I was going to get to him a little later, but let's, let's chat about Scipio right now. What's, what's your, your uh, who is he in your life right now?
2: Scipio became a terrific scout for the Houston Astros. And like so many people, I'm going to get Kevin fired up here. So many people in baseball have lost their jobs because of the analytics. And Scipio was let go by the Astros. He's now the head baseball coach at the University of Houston downtown. I haven't seen him, haven't heard from him in a couple of years, but I noticed on LinkedIn, he was trying to raise funds that would help him find a field, rent a field where the team could practice, rent a field where they could play games. It's a shame that the school is not supporting him. So I've been trying to help him any way I can, but he's now the head baseball coach at the University of Houston, University of Houston downtown campus.
0: Yeah. I know we chatted a little bit about him. We're, we're going to try to see if we can't drum up some support for him as well uh, through our network here. All right. Another, another name I'm going to throw at you, Jim Nance. Jim
2: Nance, I met when he was a 19-year-old college student at the University of Houston. I was the sports director at KTRH Radio in Houston, a 50,000-watt station. I hired two young men from the University of Houston. Dave Barrett, the late Dave Barrett, the name may be familiar to some of some of your listeners, Dave anchored the CBS evening news in prime time on radio for over 20 years. Was a great talent. Won three Marconi awards, the highest award you can win in radio as a broadcaster. I, I hired Jim Nance as a 19 year old and Jim Nance today. I talked to him every week. I got, I got two, two uh, messages from him last night after he did the uh, Patriots jets game. And uh, Jim Nance today, is the same guy, the same down-to-earth human being that he was as a 19-year-old college student. He's a he, he is as good as as they come, and he is as classy an individual as you'd ever want to find. And he's done so much. I'm so proud of him. The charity work he's done. I you know I knew his his parents, and uh, just just a, a great individual.
0: What what about him when he was nineteen made you say that guy's gonna be good?
2: His enthusiasm, his knowledge, his his uh ability to communicate his his courtesy, his his confidence, you, you could just tell. You could, and and he was on the golf team. Here, here's I'll give you a real quick Jim Nance story. He was on the golf team at the University of Houston with Blaine McAllister and Fred Couples. Jim and Fred are very close. They were roommates. And Jim always wanted to work for CBS and do golf. Fred always wanted to win the Masters. Well, Jim has done the Masters for how many years? And they, were, they, they practice often. Interviewing Jim interviewing Fred after Fred allegedly would win the Masters. And Jim says that was his hardest interview to do when it actually happened. I think it was in the early 90s. I could be wrong. But when when Fred won the Masters and Jim had to interview him at Butler Cabin, Jim said there was so much emotion that was the toughest interview he had to do.
1: Wow, what a story! Hmm.
0: Uh, yeah, that's uh, a that, that's a that's a heck of a room right there. The uh, with Jim Nance now, what what makes him sustain? Is it the same attribute you saw in him as a nineteen year old?
2: His his signature opening, "Hello, friends," when he comes on the air. That was that came from his father, who always said, hello, f- hello friends, when he was a salesman of, of office furniture. I bought some office furniture from, from his dad back in the day. But when, when the senior Nance came down with Alzheimer's and couldn't, couldn't put things together, Jim went to him in his hospital room and said, Dad, you watch on TV. And when, when you see, you see me, I'm going to say, hello, friends, and that is for you he's got a, he's got a heart as big as Texas. I mean, the the guy is just, just so classy. He's, he, he's, he's comfortable to listen to. He's accurate. He's, he's not going to be a guy that's going to rock the boat. He's going to, he's going to be fair. He's going to be honest. He's going to be descriptive. He's going to have a little fun. He and Tony Romo have made a terrific team. Uh, When I I complimented Jim on the broadcast yesterday and what, you know what Jim said? Tony had a great game. He didn't talk about himself. He said Tony had a great game yesterday. That's the kind of guy he is.
0: Yeah, he's bringing him along nicely uh, with Tony Romo. Okay, yeah, for got Seventeen a- million a year. I hope so. Oh, certainly. Yeah, I like to <laughs> be brought along for that as well. The um, okay, I got. I, you shared an interview you did with a, a famous president. I want to talk to that, Donald Trump.
2: Uh, before he was president, when when I was a broadcaster for the Red Sox, we had the Jimmy Fund radio telethon the jimmy fund uh, the charity that, that ted williams was aligned with back in the day and has has been a charity for the red sox for a lot of years and they brought in a lot of different dignitaries and uh, they had been after uh, trump all day trying to get him to commit to do something well he went on tv and then he came over to us and my thing about interviewing or about talking with people is to make it a conversation and And I I teach a couple of classes in broadcasting, but I said, I say to the students, you've got to be more than just, you know, know the rules and know the players. You've got to have a good foundation. And that includes a good liberal arts education and know some, some pop culture. So I I had seen Trump's TV show, The Apprentice. I had known that his son had just been born. uh, uh, And I I had known that he was close to Steinbrenner and he was friends with Regis Philbin. So I interspersed. All that stuff, as I'm calling, here's ball two to Manny Ramirez, up and in, and, and, and eventually I, I say, I say to uh, the audience, I say, here's the total for the radio telethon right now, and I forget the figure, but I said, that leaves a $60,000 short of matching last year's total. And I said to him, I said, do you know, anyb-? I said, do you know anybody's got $60,000? He said, I got it. He says, why don't I write you a check? So he gave us sixty thousand dollars. Mm. It's a conversation.
0: Yeah. We um you, you shared us an interview with me that struck you as unique and in, in that when celebrity stars, coaches, players, when they get in trouble, they have their go-to <laughs> interviewer to go to 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 make them kind of transition. You yeah. shared it. You shared an interview. I think it was Urban Meyer, Tom Rinaldi. What share the dynamics of that? Cause I want to get into how you do your thing now and what yeah. makes you so special, but share yeah. with me, what struck you as unique about that experience. Yeah,
2: remember when Lance Armstrong got in trouble to, and, and uh, Wade Boggs uh, and A-Rod, they, they go to Katie Couric, they go to Oprah Winfrey, they go to Barbara Walters. Well, I don't know this for sure, but it's it's just a guesstimate on my part. Urban Meyer, who was in hot water at Ohio State because of his assistant coach, who allegedly uh, roughed up his wife physically, uh, and and Urban Meyer was taking heat for that, for covering for allegedly for co- covering for the guy. So his his Urban Meyer's character was under attack. His reputation was under attack. So he was looking, I think, to turn things around and and put things back to the positive. So he had been working after he left Florida, where he had (laughs) Aaron Hernandez and some others who got into a lot of trouble, as the history books would show. He, He worked for, Urban Meyer worked for ESPN. So I thought, okay, he went to ESPN to his redemption interview, feeling that he would get an easy approach, and they would look at him as a friend. uh-uh, Tom Rinaldi did a great job. Tom Rinaldi's interview was more of a cross-examination than an interview, and it, it I show it in my classes that this this is journalism. this is asking questions. this is getting to the root of the problem. you're not kissing anybody's fanny you're just you're just you're not going to be used by somebody. To, he, he was fair. The questions were fair. He had documentation. I don't use notes when I do an interview. Uh, he, but, but this is such an important subject that Tom Rinaldi was visiting with uh, Urban Meyer about. He had his notes because it had police reports. It had it had dates of of uh, when Urban Meyer appeared before the uh, Big Ten uh, press corps. So it, it, w- it was a classic job by Tom Rinaldi, who did an outstanding job.
0: And what you impressed upon me was his I mean, he asks short questions. Yeah. It wasn't lot mean, to the depth. point
2: to the point it, it obviously it was on T V. To the point he would say Urban Meyer would give an answer and then Tom Rinaldi would say, Why? Or what for? A couple of times he just shrugged his shoulders as if to say, What? It was it was masterful.
0: Yeah. We need more of those. That's why, that's why uh, Kevin is so appreciated because we're missing guys like him in that press room right after games to to push people. I have one more and then pass it on to Kevin. And, and uh, it was something that you actually asked me because in preparation for the show, you know, I'm learning you, you're learning me and I am, I am not close to what either one of you guys are in terms of interviewing or asking questions. So you turned a question on me um, something that you asked to your class, and you had you asked me, and I, and I pardon the pun, but I, I fumbled it terribly when you asked me uh, on the phone, and uh, you had asked me if, if I had Tom Brady uh, one-on-one in an interview, what would be the question I would ask him? And I want you to share what you would ask him um, and why.
2: Well, all right. Now, my my thinking is Tom Brady has been asked every question under the sun about his personal life, about his football, about his family, blah, blah, blah. If I could sit down with Tom Brady to get things going, I'd say, hey, Tom, how good a dancer are you? And he'd probably look at me very puzzling, and and he, he would joke about it. I would say, the reason I ask, you know, people talk about your arm strength, and I don't want to give a long question here, but an explanation. People talk about your arm strength, your competitiveness, but they don't talk about your footwork, which is so important. Are you... Are you a good dancer? Does that help you with your footwork? Just to get him talking about something different from a football standpoint.
0: Yeah. What are some I I'd,
2: of- I'd, I'd be interested to hear what Kevin.
1: Yeah. Sense. And
0: I'll, I'll, I'll kind of transition it to you, to Kevin now. That's a, a good segue.
1: No, uh, that's great. Uh, and, and footwork is important, Chris. And, and Parcells realized, uh, not Parcells, uh, Coughlin realized that. And what would they always do? How did they beat Tom Brady? They would come up the middle and kind of screw up with his footwork. You know so that's that's a great question now, I don't know if I could top that question uh, Brady, I would probably go something with uh, um, the, how the family means something to him because you know he right. it's it's right. a sports oriented family, you know, and some situations they've had, but I'd love to bring out you know um you know the the best it's a simple question, but you know the best lessons he learned from his family and, and not make them cliched and don't let him go down the cliche road. And that's, yeah. and that's, you know, that's, that's why we wanted to have you on Jerry. Cause uh, we, you know, we, we, like they like said, we have 50,000 uh, listeners, a lot of them are young listeners and and we try to teach them a little bit about baseball, but also about whether you're a player or whether you're a writer or whether you're a broadcaster. I mean, you are giving gold to these people and uh, it's funny you said about the shirt. Short questions because that's my biggest beef with the media now. Yeah. The, the sideline reporters, oh my God, it's 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 too yeah. much.
2: Hey Kevin, can I let me let me ask you a question going back to the footwork thing and see what you think? Yeah. N- Nomar Garcia Para took took heat. He probably made I'm gonna just a ballpark figure. Let's say Nomar made 15 errors a year. Mm. 13 of those came on throws because, as Jimmy Williams said, his former manager, he had a natural cut to his throws. But I, my point is, it, no knock against Kevin Millar and David Ortiz, the first baseman he worked with. They they didn't have great footwork, and and I, they didn't make the adjustments that a Doug Mankavich could make, or that back back somebody you watched a lot at Don Mattingly or somebody I watched in in the National League, uh, uh, Keith Hernandez. They, mm-hmm. Those guys had great footwork.
1: Well, you know, actually, I played first base, and I was through college, and that's my position, and and. um it's all about the footwork, and and it kills me watching games now with some of these first basemen. You know, there was a play just the other day. Oh, I was watching the uh, Wilmer Flores made a throw across the diamond against the Dodgers last night, and whoever was at first base, because the nerds think anybody can play anywhere. Right. So they, they right. stick guys up. And it was a – Wilmer made a dive, got up, and he's not the fastest guy in the world, but he, he kind of set his feet well, and he threw a one-hopper that was – on purpose. So it took a nice easy bounce and the first baseman had committed himself already because they get to the bag here's what happens Jerry They get to the bag too early and commit with the one foot. Right. Instead of you put your heels to the bag and you react to the ball. It's that simple. Right. But right. but all that's been lost in baseball not by broadcasters, not by the players, but by the people that are in charge. They don't think it's important. So we see it left and right. So literally left and right at first base. So yeah, it's 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 so important. Quick, no more stories since you brought it up. I once I went to the um, you know I went down to uh, their AAA team in Pawtucket, and I was doing a piece. I think I, I was doing a piece on no, I don't know what I was doing, but I was doing some kind of piece. And they told me a No More story that I thought was very fitting. And this is important, too. And and I asked the, the people in charge of Pawtucket and I went to the clubhouse. I said, well, you know, what makes what when did you know Garcia Parra was something special? And and the answer was really simple. And these are the kind of things you and I love. Uh, they said, I you know, they said we knew it when he came to us. He told us he wanted the, the cubicle, the locker right next to the door because he wanted to get so close to the field that he could be the first one out there every time. Hmm. So you learn something about that, like a player, yeah. and that tells you about his work ethic <clears throat> and yep. where he goes and stuff like that. And it's so funny. I was just seeing a play where Garcia Power made a bad throw to first, um, but he uh, it was a tough play, and he had a spin, and it's all about footwork, and the first baseman didn't react. So, so those are the little things that are missed in broadcasting today. And, and the Jim Nance, that's such great points on Jim Nance. I happened to watch that game yesterday. And I was thinking to myself, because again, as a reporter, I'm at events, so I don't listen to events, but now, uh, you know, I have more time to watch and listen and stuff like that. He was terrific with Tony Romo yesterday. He, yeah, he right. just, he just brings you that. It's like, it's the old secret. He, you're like sitting with friends, you know, right. Right. And friends who know something now. So, if I can do this, hold on one second, see if I can push the right button here. I want, I want people to listen to this, too, because this is so important about what it's all about. See if we got going here, if I can do this here. Um, looks like I'm going to be technical. Here we go. That, that call had it all. I mean, uh, thank you. I hope it came through. Okay. There, but, um, thank you. Yeah. yeah I, uh, I, I was
2: honored. The The MLB network made that number 25 on their list of the top 50 calls all time. And I, was, I could I was see shocked. why.
1: Cause, cause, in, in, in that, in that minute or however long that was, I mean, I was at that game too. Actually I was in the auxiliary press box in right field. And, um, uh, so the home run came my way and, um, You know, you could see you could see things happening to the Yankees that this was not going to be good. I mean, you could just feel it. And I think you carried it all in the emotion in your voice and 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 making the call perfect. Just just how do you I mean, you can't prepare for that. That's got to be a lifetime of preparation. But just just run that call back to us and and what you think about it now hearing it.
2: I was I was taught by one of the best. We talked about Joe Buck. Jack, his dad, was my mentor. And and I grew up listening to Harry Carey, the best salesman baseball ever had. But Harry mm. had his style. He had his shtick. I couldn't do Harry. I, I've worked with people who tried to do Harry, and, and that's another story for another time. But Jack, Jack taught me, think about the game. The game is the most important thing. Be prepared. Don't don't anticipate. Mm. You just you, you you just have to be ready. For the moment, I got, I got, I got lucky. I got lucky that uh, that I I was, I was able. If I nailed it, I was lucky that I was able to to nail it. And I I give all credit back to to Jack because he would critique my tapes. He would get that that picture that Dave mentioned about me and and Scipio Spinks. uh, I was in that auxiliary booth. Fast forward to 2004. I did the World Series from that exact same booth, uh, and nice I just sir. wish Jack—I yep. I just wish Jack had been alive to see it. He was—he meant so much uh, to my life. I—I uh, I, I mentioned seeing Joe recently, but I also got to see Jack's widow, Carol, mm. I met his daughter, uh, Julie. Uh, just a, a terrific family. Did, did you know Jack very well?
1: I knew him well enough, you know, and uh, you know, St. Louis was always such a special place because you know, his partners and and Rick Hummel, the writer. And it's just, it really is baseball heaven, you know, just as a little sidetrack, I would love to see a guy like uh, Alonzo go to a place like St. Louis and play, because I think he's putting too much pressure on himself in New York. I think if you're a player that needs to kind of come back or or get it together, it's a great place to play. But what I noticed about St. Louis and, and you say it so well with, with, with Jack Buck is the people who come from St. Louis understand the game so well mm-hmm. and uh you know a good friend of mine is chip Carey and obviously chip you know those yeah. days and everything so so it's a special place and jack was just terrific uh and i think it also had something to do with jerry and you and i go far enough back where when you were in the st louis press box back in those hundred degree days there with the artificial yeah. turf you know, you could get yourself a nice little beer and, and a burger. <laughs> that was one of my favorite things about that press box. They had the greasiest burgers and you can have them all game long. <laughs> well,
2: I, Emma, Emma, the lady who, who cooked those burgers and, yeah. and the hot dogs, I, I opted for the hot dogs. I thought they had the best hot dogs going at... At uh, Bush Stadium, cooked by Emma. She was such a, a sweet lady. But
1: uh, well, again, that's what makes them special. And just dovetailing to the Phillies, one of the great things about the Phillies now is they have the, they still have the best media, uh, press room food and nicest people. It's it's like going back to eighth grade and the cafeteria ladies. That's who they yeah. are. You know, are you,
2: you ready for a Marge shot story? Sure. I'm I'm with the Astros. Go to Cincinnati. Uh, Marge shot is owning uh, the Cincinnati Reds. So we're in the dining room at uh, at Riverfront Stadium.
1: I, I think Marge I know where comes, we're going here.
2: Yeah, Marge comes in with Shotzi, her St. Bernard, puts a, a plate of food right in the middle of all the media people and lets Shotzi go to town right there.
1: Oh, that's uh, Jack McKean has some great Shotzi stories, you know. and uh, I, I think Shotzi got, helped him get mad because Jack would always spend time with Shotzi, and that, that, that was the key key. Person, One thing that comes through in your conversation is is people and understanding and, you know, preparing. I don't think this generation prepares like it could. Not all of them. I'm not stroking uh, yeah, yeah. here, but they need. And they're so lucky to have you as a as a, as a teacher uh, going back way back to my college days. And we talked briefly about this, but I thought about it after I got done. We, we got done last week. Uh, I, and you mentioned it right here with liberal arts. I was a American literature major. And this is important, too. I want people to listen to this. I was a, like, like I told you, I played sports in college. I was on the newspaper. I took a course with a guy named Peter Carey. I was lucky at this little college, Rampo College in New Jersey. We had a lot of adjunct professors, just like, you know, they're lucky to have you. So Peter Carey was the number one editor at Sports Illustrated. And this is 1977 when Sports Illustrated was the boss. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not like Mm -hmm. Sports Illustrated today. And Peter... A, I, I took his course. I learned so much. And one of the first things Peter told me, which I thought was interesting, was um, he told the class was if you're going to go into journalism, uh, get a background in something else, so you have some other kind of background. And we talked about it briefly. Some of the things that made a difference, and, and so that that kind of made an impression on me. So I immediately started studying and it wasn't the greatest but American literature you know I've I read some great people and it made me a better writer as I always say you read you read better and you write better so so that that is so important to have that and and you being from the Houston you know the other thing I want people to understand is you did a lot of you know you do all the sports I mean we're talking about baseball because that's who we are but i mean your your other broadcasts are just terrific I mean on your website, you 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 have a, a college uh, women's basketball game, which I think you, you bring out the best in the uh, si- uh, the people who you work with too. So Thank what's you. what's Thank the key in that? Even that, uh, you know, and I think Jeff Nelson is a great analyst. I think he should right. be moved up. Right. He should be doing national games somewhere, right? Um, or he should be the pitching coach of the Yankees. And I'll mention that because he I mean, he was doing a game a few weeks ago with Rodon, and he pointed out all the flaws in Rodon's. Um, mechanics and they were simple things taking the ball out too early with the glove, blah blah blah. And that shows us where we are with baseball today. The analysts who played in one world titles know more about the game than the base than the pitching coaches who the field. So I know this is a long winded question, but two of my friends in uh, Houston through the years were John McClain and Fran Blindberry. I don't know if you had you, 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 John, John, McClain, John McClain,
2: John McClain. Will tell you that that I was the first one to put him on the radio. I'm going to speak to him Wednesday night. I I
1: tell I him heard, say Hi,
2: I will. I heard from this him this uh, past weekend. John and I go back a long way, and and uh, he's one of my best friends. And I I know Fran as as well. Not not as well as John, but McLean uh, and I go back. A long, long way, but I want to jump on something you said uh, a little bit earlier. When you said people, that's another thing Jack Buck told me. He said, Troop, when you get into baseball, you're going to meet some great people, and and, and that's that's the truth." Now, in full disclosure, in full disclosure, some of the people in the game today, not so much.
1: Okay? Yeah, I couldn't agree but, more.
2: But but you know when you're when you're when you're talking about. Uh, Lou Gorman and Tal Smith who just turned 90 a few days ago uh just, just you know solid great people Johnny Pesky uh, mm. Sam Mealy Frank Malzone all the all these different uh, people through through the years that you come across it, it, Jimmy Williams I mentioned Terry Francona it can go on and on and on some some of the people some of the people in the game we miss they should be working and and it's a crime that they're not in the game. Cause I don't know if we're going to have baseball lifers anymore.
1: No, they're always, it's like someone said to me recently, uh, cause we, 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 we had uh, uh, Ray Negron on the show here and Ray made a great point about how George Steinbrenner would hire from the streets and of the Bronx. And those people would be loyal to the team. And, and someone had heard that or read that in my column and, and uh, someone in baseball and they said, that is such a great point because right now they're hiring the interns who the moment they get their job, they're looking for the next job. Mm-hmm. No, and I think you asked me a great question when I was on your show about, you know, what would you ask someone uh, if you were interviewing them? And I, the first thing that came to my mind was honesty. Cause I think there's a lot, there's not a lot of honesty in, in journalism anymore. And that's, that's what's missing. If you're honest, people will respect you. And I think that's why you were so well respected and, and on every level, and, and and it comes across in the broadcast. Like, how, how did you make? Uh, I know you don't. I know you prepared, but how do you make the the analysts set them up perfectly where it's not a setup, so to speak? It's like you, you, you uh,
2: give. By the way, I want to mention one more great guy. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Mike Porton. I know you had Mike on with you. Oh yeah, show. Mike's there's, great. There's guy. there's a the guy right at the top of the list. But w- working with analysts, there there are some. That are, are new. I, I was very proud when there, there there was a cable operation that first started down in Houston called Home Sports Entertainment. And I was the guy they mm-hmm. had as a play by play guy to break in the new guys. And uh, so, some people you have to lead. Some are some are natural where they they have the personality and the insight and the 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 ability to communicate right away. You You learn. You learn which which type of person you're you're looking uh, looking at when you're when you're working with them. I, I try to give them as much room as possible and, and let them do their thing. Because a lot a lot of a lot of analysts don't like to have the play by play person paint them into a corner exactly. when they might have something else to say.
1: No, we see that all the time. When, yeah. and, and the other thing I'm noticing with broadcasting, and maybe it's just me being picky too many broadcasters now are trying to set up for the highlight. So they like, say it's a, you know, a situation where a home run is going to win the game or whatever. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a milestone home run. And they'll, they'll lead into the pitch by saying, and you know, he's, uh, he's sitting at the 299 home runs and blah, blah, blah. Instead of letting the action speak for itself. How important is it to let the action speak for itself?
2: The the action has to speak for itself and, but I, I think as a broadcaster, you have to make the, the listener aware. Like I would always say that there's a no hitter going on. Mm-hmm. I called four no hitters. I think if if I, I'm not superstitious to the point where oh, if I say there's a no hitter, he's going to lose it. No, that's that, my job is to inform the viewer or the listener. That's that's my job. Vince Scully's I think called eighteen no hitters and yeah. something like four four perfect games, and he always let you know what was going on. I mean, Vin was was the best of, of the best. So if if he could do it, if that's the way to do it, I I, I think that's that's the proper route to take.
1: And you know, well, Vin Scully, you know, I I love my conversations with him through the years. And
2: um, what a nice man! Oh my
1: gosh, I did I did an article on him once, and uh, towards the end of his career, but I jumped on it before anybody else did. Like this is probably about four years before he's going to retire. And uh, you know he's very religious and mm-hmm. uh, Catholic, good Catholic.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: the next day, that that food room, and, and again, me in food rooms, uh, the Dodger <laughs> food room. Uh, I'm I'm getting uh, I'm getting uh, iced tea over at the uh, the soda fountain area. So I have my back to the door, and all of a sudden, I, the door swings open. and It's Kevin Kern, and what a, thats the nicest article anybody's ever written. I mean, you know, that's and that—that's who Ben Scully was. I mean, yeah. it was like, uh, and another. See, I'm lucky too because I had when I covered the Padres, I had Jerry Coleman. Oh yeah, yeah, you know? oh, yeah. He's yeah. Throwing, he,
2: here's Raleigh Fingers is throwing up in the bullpen.
1: <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and and Jerry could laugh at himself. Yeah, but, but he also the, I remember Ted. We, uh, I remember Ted Williams uh, telling me that Jerry was the much better pilot uh, than him. you know. Really?
0: Yes. Really?
1: And it was a fascinating conversation. Uh, I think Bob Breitbart was his name. He was a good friend of Ted, and he was the head of the San Diego Hall of Fame, basically. Somehow he hooked me up with Ted, and, and we had a nice conversation. And Jerry once had to land a plane. Base, no, it was on takeoff. The plane flipped. The tire blew out, and he, and he, had to, he basically had to control the plane upside down. So, you know, so Jerry Coleman could handle anything in a baseball field after something like that. So, so again, what are we getting back to? We're getting to great people. And I think baseball needs to get back to that. And, and in full disclosure, I got to say too, when I was covering that 2004 world series, I was on a very tight deadline. So on my way to the clubhouse, I had a little transistor radio. I would listen to you guys do the post-game interviews. So that would give me some quotes ahead of the competition. So, uh, Tell us the, 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 uh, what, what, you know, interviewing a player, what, what do you try to do? Because you, you get all kinds of players.
2: Referring back to my mentor, Jack Buck. He, and you remember John Lowe, the writer from Detroit, right? Of
1: course. Uh, John's yeah. a great guy. Outstanding. isn't? And he just got inducted. The only problem with John Lowe is he created that quality start garbage, but I'm not going to go there. Much.
2: <laughs> and he dressed too well.
1: <laughs> yes. Hey, he wasn't John Fetterman. That's for sure. Yeah,
2: but that's for sure. Uh, but but he he pointed out that and I should have caught this early too that Jack Buck when he did an interview would always start it with something to put the mm-hmm. person you're interviewing at ease a little mm-hmm. just a little note hey things are going well for you how's, how's that going and, and then I, I I would try to do that I I was and I, I've got to tell you a story too about interviewing and in pregame shows in a second but. I, my last few years with the Red Sox I just interviewed the manager every night so we had a rapport. Uh, i didn't I didn't go and do different interviews with different players
1: and, and Terry Francona, of course was a great one was
2: was terrific was terrific uh,
1: but if you as
2: you're interviewing you have to have something you want to talk about mm. you have, you have you, i did, I didn't write down questions there was something I wanted to talk about at the start and then you listen. You yes. Listen and see yes. where it goes, and if the interviewer or the interviewee is 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 reticent and he's not giving you much, okay, let's cut it short we're not gonna we're not gonna be pulling teeth but here's my story broadcasters broadcasters one one of the bane of the existence of broadcasters is the pregame show mm. so the story goes this veteran broadcaster is sitting at a bar nursing a drink <laughs> and this lovely woman comes up to him and she says she puts her hand on his arm and she says i will do anything you want for two hundred dollars he looks at her and he says okay you got the pregame show tomorrow night
1: (laughs) oh that's great that's great i tell you there's probably some truth to that that's probably true (laughs) well that's the other thing not that we were luscious or I don't even know, you know, if you know, what, what the situation, but we would spend time with athletes or coaches, you know, uh, in a casual setting where you got to know them. And and uh, one of the great things about early on, uh, you know, my, my Padre career, the Padres trained in Yuma, Arizona. Okay. So you got to remember what Yuma, Arizona was like in 1988. It's uh, <laughs> It was, you know, I could... I loved it because the hotel was right there and I could ride my bike to the uh, ballpark and hang out. But every night, Jerry, and I don't know if you had this situation too through the years, we stayed in the same hotels. It was only, there was like a quality Inn or whatever it was. It was a suites kind of hotel, but the team and the media stayed in the same hotel. And every night at five o'clock was happy hour with popcorn and, and all the coaches would come down. So I would be able to get my preparation done for tomorrow at five o'clock the night before. I mean, uh, the players would be in the pool area. How important was it to have those relationships develop in in situations where you just weren't, um, you know, interviewing guys on the ball field?
2: Yeah, that, that th- th- those relationships are, are so important. I, I never had that because they always, other than the strike year in nineteen ninety when I was with the Expos, that's the only time I ever stayed in the same hotel as the players.
1: Um, well, I never stayed after that because I wanted to get Marriott points, but that's another story yeah
2: there you go. you're typical writer, yep. typical writer get those marriott points but but those those relationships are important and they and, and having the contacts where where you can go to a guy he will trust you, you trust him to give you the information you you're not going to burn him, you're not going to do an expose you just need some information on on background when when you build that type of of relationship that's that's invaluable you you got to have that and 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 i i would spend during the regular season i would spend the dinner hour i wouldn't i would normally not eat with other broadcasters i'd go sit with the scouts and i would listen i would listen and that's where you learn a lot
1: and they love to talk because they, yes. uh, you, you know, they they have so much information, and 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 I mean that as a positive. They love to talk because the problem with baseball now, especially, is a lot of people don't listen to the scouts anymore. Right. They they just use them as another uh, another analytic widget type thing. But uh, again, getting back to Sabian, Sabian had always had the greatest scouts around him, Pat Dobson, people like that, and it was a whole contingent of them, and they wouldn't they wouldn't just agree with him they would disagree with him i think we're getting a lot of uh in front officers now in baseball we're getting a lot of the same people same thoughts it's uh you know it's 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 groupthink as opposed to individual think and that's why i think we have so many bad teams but uh that that's just me you know here, here,
2: here's a name from the past speaking of scouts we lost him recently Deacon Jones, Grover oh, Deacon yeah. Jones, advanced yeah. scout of the Baltimore Orioles. I knew him when he was the hitting coach for the uh, for the Astros, and I would drive him back to the hotel after the games. And mm.
0: There you he, go. That's, he, that's what I'm
1: talking about. Personal time. There you go. Yeah,
2: he he told the story, and, and this puts things into perspective. He was in the White Sox system with Don Buford, Damon Buford's father, and and they were roommates, and. Grover said Deacon said one night I I, I told I told uh, uh, Don I said Rumi, I'm gonna get three hits tomorrow night <laughs> and 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 Don Buford said Rumi, I'm gonna score three runs tomorrow night and help us win that puts the game in perspective
1: <laughs> that's great stuff and and you bring up something else I want to mention too because uh, you, you, you're pushing some buttons where I remember some things and uh, um, they, when And this is how the game has changed. I think it was Maury Allen told me this, uh, longtime sports writer post. In 1961, he had a great relationship with Roger Maris and got a lot of good information from him about this and um, uh, uh, that whole chase and everything. And I asked him once, I said, well, how did you do that? And um, he said, well, I was, believe it or not, this is great, too. He was making the same amount of money as Roger Maris. I think they were both making around fifteen thousand dollars in nineteen sixty-one. Mm. Well, but here's the key: he was because he was with the Post, uh, he was always able to get a rental car, and so uh, Roger he would always drive Rogers to the ballpark. And not only that, Roger, when in downtime or before the game, a lot of times he didn't want to eat in the city. He was a country boy, basically. So they would go to a small town or something to have lunch. So imagine spending. Again, these are all the things that the, the the new breed journalist doesn't think about. Yeah. How
2: about how about this? How about this? As you said, you were you were there in two thousand and four. Arguably, the two most important games in Red Sox history was Game Seven against the Yankees in the American League Championship Series in 04. and mm-hmm. then Game Four. Of the World Series in 04. Both started by Derek Lowe. Now I'm sitting in the dugout. You don't talk to the starting pitcher no. the day that, that he is he's starting. I'm sitting in the dugout, have all my pregame stuff done. Uh, and Derek Lowe comes sits down next to me. Prior <laughs> to the Yankee game, he's talking to me for 20 minutes. He was a all state basketball player in Michigan. He's talking to me how he would play against Shaquille O'Neal. Wow. Now and, and the Red Sox win that game, of course, go to the World Series. Now it's game four of the World Series. He's going to start against the Cardinals at Bush Stadium. I'm in the dugout. Mm-hmm. Who sits next to me? Derek Lowe. Spends 20 minutes talking about athletic sneakers. <laughs> I mean, he, sh- he should have been a left-hander. He was a sinker ball right-hander, but he, he should have been a left-hander. But th- th- those guys, those personalities were... I don't know if we're where we have enough of them or they're not getting publicity or if it's it, it's it's a it's a lost feature to the game. But just having those relationships really, really made it so worthwhile. And and I miss it. and I, I, I'd go back in a heartbeat, but uh, haven't found the uh, willing takers yet.
1: Well, the uh, that's that's one of the things that we always talk about is the the relationships of what, what were most important and the fun you could have with these people. But you, the thing I, you also, what's amazing about your career is you were a great, you know, you did a wonderful job at baseball, incredible job, baseball. Thank you. Um, Thank you. But you segue to the other sports so well. I mean, in some ways, that's a Jim Nance type thing too, as well. So, what was that's the? It. I
2: learned that I learned that from Buck Jack Buck. Did okay. he, he worked all the time? Baseball, football. Uh, yeah, I did, I did basketball, I did hockey. Yeah, versatility will, will keep you busy.
1: And WA, I got to ask you before we, you know, finish up, uh, WHA.
2: yeah, The world hockey association just had the reunion with the arrows this past weekend and, uh, ran into a lot of, a lot of old friends. I lived in Gordie Howe's house. Uh, <laughs> I, I saw, I saw Mark and Marty, uh, his two sons he played with, uh, of course we missed, we missed Gordie who passed away, but the most humble superstar I've ever met in my life. What a, what a tremendous individual Gordie Howe was of course, he never got me with one of his elbows, but uh, I used to sit next to him and help him with his crossword puzzles, and he he was he was outstanding, and we had some great times with that Houston Aeros team.
1: Just so people understand, because I I, cover, I actually covered a little WHA at the time too, or went oh. to games in New York at the time, and, and it was kind of like the movie Slap correct?
2: Oh, I, they had a playoff series against Minnesota, featuring a player on Minnesota by the name of Bill Goldthorpe. Who was the bassist in the movie Slapshot for Ogie Oglethorpe? Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, he was uh, they had a they had a bunch of characters in the World Hockey Association. One quick story: Cam Connor, who later won a Stanley Cup with Montreal, he played for the Arrows. Normally, you introduce yourself to a player. The the Arrows get him in a trade with Phoenix, and coming out of the arena in San Diego one night, I'm walking to the bus. And Connor comes up to me, introduces himself. And I'm thinking, oh, isn't this one of the most friendliest guys I've ever met in my life? He says, now, look, he says, the last time I was here, somebody pulled a knife on me. You watch my back. I'll watch whatever's in front of me. And and to talk about characters, he went on to buy a wolf. He had a wolf for a pet. (laughs)
1: There you go. You don't get that kind of stuff anymore. No, no. And... We we end up with one question, but we throw it back today. But I still have one other point I want to ask because cause you've met so many athletes through the years and players. Uh, I'll keep this to baseball. Who was your most engaging type of uh, conversations with or the person you enjoyed to talk to the most? Because with the Red Sox, you know, you know, people rip on Ortiz here and there, but he was always, he, he at least with me, you know, and the writers, he always made time. You, you had Curt Schilling, yeah. who was a classic uh you know, um, very interesting individual. So who, to you, uh, I'll keep it to the Red Sox years to make it really okay. specific. Well, uh, can,
2: I, can I go beyond the Red Sox? Because sure, all the guys, go I, I got go I got along great with, with Schilling and Veritech and Nixon. I got along with, with, with everybody. In my baseball career, there were only three players that I really didn't like. And I'll go to my grave. People will never know, and they'll never know on the air who those (laughs) players were. But the most engaging personality I think I've met in baseball who meant so much to me was Bobby Winkles, the former manager of the A's and the Angels Ah. and head baseball coach at Arizona State. He was one of my broadcast partners with the Montreal Expos. I learned a lot of baseball from Bobby Winkles and had such an engaging personality. And uh, just a real quick story on Bobby. We're on the, in an elevator in Cincinnati he lived in La Quinta California he had a had a golf shirt on that said La Quinta and this woman gets on this woman this citizen gets on the elevator and she looks and sees the shirt and she just says oh I love your hotels he says thank you ma'am I'm in charge of the I'm in charge of the towels do you find our towels satisfactory enough
1: <laughs> that's a quick-witted guy there you go oh that, that was winks I miss him oh, that's great Dave back to you
0: yeah, I'll, I'll I'll keep it short. But I wanted to make sure our audience knows. I mean, we we've covered a lot of ground today. But you mentioned pop culture when you were talking to, about your interview with Trump. You're a part of pop culture also. So what's so special about? It's one of my favorite shows. I think it's season four, episode two of The Office.
2: <laughs> oh, the w- when the when the Red Sox new owners uh, decided not to renew my uh, contract after 14 years, and they brought in two guys to replace me. I heard it it upset the producers of of the office who were who were uh fans of mine. I've never met them and they threw my name out there as the, as the guy who was the head of uh head of the corporation.
1: Yeah, and they brought Gunner. him in.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and they use they use my name as a little shot at the Red Sox. So that 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 was, that well, was
1: pretty pretty neat. That's a good one, Chris. Uh, if you're going to get Tom Werner, you get him right where it hurts in his TV world. Don't I'm
2: biting my tongue right now? No, I, know. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm not gonna put you on. And
1: I, I've, I've known Tom since, like I said, uh, since he and and I like, I, there's a side of me that likes Tom, and, and I know Lukino was the one who kind of forced you out. And yeah. um, Larry is just so driven on his thoughts that sometimes he gets in his own way and ruins good things, you know. And um, I think that was one of the times where Larry should have had maybe better advice. And, um, you know, uh, and, and, and cause I mean, you, it, it's going to go down to me. It, it's, 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 it's a, no matter who you, and I, it's got nothing to do. Guys replaced you either. It's, it's just, it was a because If you listen to any of your games and broadcasts, you are like an old friend sitting in the living room, watching the game with, and that's, that's, that's always the key. And Thank I know you. to this Thank day, you. Red Sox fans, um, uh, you know are, are are still upset that you're no longer around oh you guys are very kind thank you
0: Kevin, i'll, I'll lead it back to your final question.
1: Yes, uh, this is a simple question. you can think about it for a second, but we ask everyone this because everyone comes at it from a different perspective it's uh it's it's really i like like as, I, as I've told you, I like to keep it simple but because uh, they get the best answers. but to you, Jerry Trubriano, what does it mean to be a ball player? What, uh, what does it mean to be a ball player? Um, and again, you can think for about it for a second, but just uh, let it fly. Go ahead.
2: I, I think to be a ball player, I think it's, as Roy Campanella said, it takes a lot of little boy to play this man's game. I think we've all played as little boys. Uh, and, and the line from uh, Field of Dreams, hey, dad, you want to have a catch? Mm. Uh, just, just that is so embedded. In us and, and, and I, I, so many thoughts come across here. the line from Jim Boughton's ball four, we grow up holding a baseball. we're in the end it It's really the other way around, meaning baseball holds us. I mean to be a ball player would have been a dream. I wanted to be Ken Boyer, I wanted to be the third baseman of the St Louis Cardinals was not good enough had had did not have the ability. But I, I would if if I could come back and be reincarnated. If I could be the third baseman for the St. Louis Cardinals, that would that would be my dream. To to be a, a baseball player would be, would be a dream because I I think until the propeller heads got a hold of it, it it was the greatest game going. I still think it's too big to kill, and I I hope I'm right. I I just I just think it is a privilege. It it, it is not a right. It is a privilege to be a baseball player.
0: Tremendous. Uh, Thanks, Jerry. I love that word too privilege. And and thanks to both of both of you guys, two hall of famers. I hope our audience understands uh, the treat they got today. And we do these shows for you guys, all 50,000 plus subscribers. You got two of the best men at their craft ever. And, um, Please take note, replay this for kids that want to get in either one of these businesses because you're not going to get finer information from two greater greater men than these two today with Kevin and Jerry. So guys, thanks so much for gracing our audience with, with your guys' knowledge, and, and we encourage everybody to tune in every week for it. We will have some programming uh, enhancements coming up in October. We'll announce those at the end of the week. But to our audience, 50,000 plus, 74 countries uh, helped us get an iHeartRadio. We're now rewarding you guys back. Uh, We will have our 200 affiliates up this week, meaning products that you guys buy in the sporting industry that you've informed me on those 700 plus uh, responses I get every morning. I asked you guys 10 questions and you got back to me with the money, how much money you spend on product. We went out and partnered with all those groups. So we'll now be having those those rewards for you up on our, our sites here so you guys can take advantage of those enhancements. Now in turn for us, it helps us fund the programming and keep it ad free. And, and help start rewarding our great our great hosts like we have here with Kevin Kernan. So with that, guys, thanks so much, Jerry. Wonderful show. Kevin, thanks for everything you Thank do you. for the network. And um, with that, episode 294 in the books. And go out and watch The Office today, episode four, uh, or season four, episode two it was on that. So, but Jerry, thanks so much. Kevin, thanks so much. Great show today, guys. Thank you. Try that in a small town. See how far you make it there.